Thank you for joining us today on the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of bopping and grooving I, with I it. I like it, yeah. Okay, well, thank you for joining us yeah. on uh, this episode. Got Melly J in the house. Here I am. I'm just over here doing the robot while Parker is talking. Oh, Sorry have, for distracting I you. We have one camera on today. Oh, too. That's so. that's maybe why I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm Parker Bennett from Royal LePage Westwind Realty, a real estate agent with uh, the pure pleasure of bringing you all this real estate content and information. And we have a banger today of a podcast. We're going to be discussing the behind the scenes of an accepted offer. So. You just received an accepted offer on your home, and now what? What do you do? What is the next step? Perfect. That's a, such an important trigger point in a transaction, and it'll be. I think this is a great content to illuminate what's happening in all the different camps. My name is Parker Bennett, and I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market. Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Um, okay, let's start by looking at the buyer's perspective. So um, you're a buyer, you've uh, been tagging along with your real estate agent and you've been looking at properties mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you found a property that your hug is tugging, your heart oh is tugging on <laughs> and uh, you decide to go ahead and make an offer on that property mm-hmm. and after some negotiation, which we're not going to get into that perspective of the of the transaction, but after you've done some due... Um, some negotiations. Yeah, you've both come to agreements uh, on an accepted offer, so buyer and seller come to happy places, and you are contractually obligated with conditions to purchase a property. Yeah. Okay. As a buyer, what is your next step? You're asking me now. Well, I'm just oh, okay. I'm like, the question. <laughs> you're the professional. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. That's so where we're at. I'm going to start actually by saying what the buyer shouldn't be doing. Okay. Okay. Because sometimes buyers want to continue shopping oh. just to see if there's a better property out there. Yeah. Unless you have a condition in your contract that says, subject to me, the buyer, uh, not finding another property that's just better, Yeah. you're not getting out of this contract for that particular reason. Right. Okay. Don't waste your time. Just a quick nugget to throw that out there. Yeah. It's good advice. Not that it happens a lot, but sometimes it does. Uh, another thing the buyer probably shouldn't be doing is getting their T4s organized for their mortgage broker or their bank because they should have been pre-qualified prior to this step. Oh, tricky. Yeah. And they shouldn't be looking for primitive primary information uh, just at this point. It should have been done already. But but, but it you, happens, though. If you haven't done it, yeah. then yeah, you should be doing it right now, but you should be doing it in a very speedy motion. And yeah. I would recommend against... Um, making an offer until you've been perfectly pre-approved. Yeah, good point. Because the risk pre-approved. is that the deal could collapse ultimately. A waste of time, waste of emotion. Yeah, you might not be even ready to uh, make the plunge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think they are. They they just assume I can afford. I'm paying three thousand dollars a month rent. I can afford three thousand dollar mortgage. But the way that 
uh, lender might see it differently. They, they see it differently. So yeah. it, it's really critical that you do your pre-approval process. And we're not going to be talking about that anymore on this particular podcast, <laughs> but we're going to be talking about what the buyer should be doing. Right. Okay. So they should be working with their mortgage broker or bank um, because now once they have an approval, a pre-approval, meaning bank says you're good to service this amount of debt. Mm-hmm. Now you bring a house into that mix and now you actually can get a real approval. Okay. Okay. Yes. An official, an official something approval. official. Yeah. So a commitment from the financial institution saying, yeah, we're going to go ahead and, and help you on this transaction. Okay. So you should be working with your lender to um, get them to contract, purchase a sale, get them any documents that they need from the property. Mm -hmm. And now that there is a property connected to that approval process, there may be additional resources that they need. Mm, Like, can you give me one one example? Um, Sometimes they might be enlightened to uh, high utility costs and they might Uh require utility costs on that property. I see. Okay. Or they might want to see the property tax Mm -hmm. statement stating that this is how much property taxes are going to be on that property. Right. But they'll be clear. They'll say, we need this, this, this kind of document or yeah. what have you. And as you were saying, like best to hightail it through that. Yeah. Whatever do not, they need, don't do delay. Do not delay that process yeah. because the typical 10 business days that is allotted in Kamloops, this is just a habit we get into. It's two weeks of due diligence. So mm-hmm. when you make an accepted offer, unless you're being forced into multiple offers and you're trying to make a more seductible offer, mm-hmm. then you're probably going to write in two weeks of conditions to get your financing approved and your home inspection approved your and insurance, insurance, all your yeah. due diligence completed. So in that time frame, the thing logistically that takes the most amount of time is the approval from the lender. Mm-hmm. And not in all cases. We talked to Sarah Ullman from First National and she indicated that they are super speedy. So if you're using <laughs> a broker that uh, connects with that uh, yeah. that financial institution, maybe there's a, an option there to, to do things quicker. But typically, we're asking for two weeks. Right. And the, 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 the meat and potatoes of that two weeks is going to be financing. Right. So that's the first thing a buyer should be. With an accepted offer, news, yep. get on the financial approval. If you're getting an accepted offer at six o'clock at night, then you should be prepared at first thing in the morning to be sending those documents in and mm-hmm. get the ball rolling for financing. Cool. That's one thing. Okay. Um, you should be starting to conduct your due diligence. Okay. The due diligence period is, like I said, two weeks long and all of your due diligence is going to be squeezed into that uh, process. Mm-hmm. Um, due diligence meaning... Booking your home inspection. Yeah. Now, there's two schools of thought of this. And I would let an educated realtor help you in this process. If the property is older and is going to have skeletons in this closet, you're better off to get the home inspection early in the transaction. Oh, okay. Okay. To give you enough time that when you find 1722 deficiencies that you have the ability to go like, research those deficiencies and figure out what the costs to remunerate them are. Right. Okay. Yeah. But if the house is seemingly should be good to go, mm-hmm. as we say, then you might want to do that home inspection later in the transaction because you want to probably make sure that you're going to get your financing approved prior to spending money. On the home inspection. On the home inspection. Right. So if you're purchasing a home and it's rural and it's, um, you know, there's, there's, it's harder to get those ones financed, mm-hmm. then you may want to take steps to book your home inspection a little bit later 
so that there's no speed bumps that you're going to hit from your financial institution mm-hmm. prior to, you know, spending cash. Interesting. And that's like a sort of a, a nuanced look at that procedure. That's a really important sort of uh, perspective on the difference between booking it early and booking it late. But booking it at all is the goal. Yeah, right? you want to get like, it booked. Like right now, if you're booking a home inspection in Canada for a transaction and you need it done by the end of the week, you're not getting it done. Right. Well, it's, just, it's booked. Everyone's right. booked. Mm-hmm. So you need to do that on your first day is to figure out how you're going to go about conducting that due diligence mm-hmm. and then go get it booked. Yeah. Get somebody approved. And I've heard this comment come up a couple of times. I don't want to book my home inspection because if we don't go ahead further past the financing problem that we may be facing, I don't want to be out the money. Mm-hmm. But you, I hate to say this for every home inspector, but I'm pretty sure most of them. You can just cancel. <laughs> you just cancel. Yeah. There's no fee. Just use them again when you have another offer. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. You double check. There's an asterisk on that. I'm like, <laughs> maybe pillar to post or someone's got like a... A cancellation policy. A cancellation policy. I that don't... Be- but hey, that's a good thing to ask your home inspector prior to booking. Definitely. Do you have a cancellation policy? That would be a, <laughs> that would be a red flag for a home inspector <laughs> yeah. though. Okay, so... Uh, moving through the due diligence period, uh, we're going to be looking towards, this is the one that gets forgotten a lot, uh, insurance, mm-hmm. qualifying your insurance. Yeah. So what that means is getting approved in writing from a underwriter mm-hmm. that you are going to be able to get satisfactory insurance that covers all the things that you expect to get covered mm-hmm. and for a, a satisfactory price. So it's sort of like a pre-approval as well. Yeah. Okay. It is. Mm-hmm. And I would say that in at least 75% of transactions, this isn't done properly. Oh. And in most of those 75, it's okay. But every now and then comes a hiccup. And I'll give you an example. Oh, great. I love examples. Um, if you're a rural property and you are not in a fire protection area, you may have forgotten the idea that insurance is going to be considerably more expensive. Oh, no. And if you're asking for insurance for like a week out, you're probably going to pay more than if you're quoting around looking for insurance uh, for three months out or two months out. Ah. So, and I don't know why that is. It's just been in every scenario that I've worked with in rural property or recreation property, when you're hurrying up to try and get insurance booked immediately, mm-hmm. The rates are ridiculous. Kind of a premium. Yeah. So you're looking for like a pre-approval at this stage, but you won't be getting insurance. Like it won't enact on that property until you no. have possession, which remove, could be yeah, two remove, months down the line. You're going to remove conditions. Mm-hmm. You got to remove conditions and then be within 30 days of completion before you can usually bind that deal I and get see. that right. organized. But, when but I, not to be overlooked. Yeah, but when I'm uh, getting ready for completion on a property that I've listed representing the seller... And I get a call a day or two before and they're saying, what kind of wiring is it? What kind of plumbing material is it? It's because they didn't, they didn't talk to an insurer yet. Yeah. Or they did talk to an insurer and they just said, yeah, we can insure that property. But they didn't answer the other part of the question, which is how much is it going to cost me? Ah, uh, yes. And if they're asking what kind of plumbing material, what kind of electrical you know, size and what kind of material they're using for wiring... That means because there's going to be a massive variance on yeah. what the cost is going to be. Based on what those answers are. They're doing their due, dilig- due diligence yeah. at that point. Too late. Should have done it already. Anyways, moving on. Um, 
I get this one a lot, and I, I'm, I'm impartial to it. I have two schools of thought on it. Should I be checking out the neighborhood? And I think as a buyer, I would. Yeah. But I will asterisk the idea that if you don't have a condition in your contract to get out of the contract for a particular reason like that, you're going to have to hide that fact to get out of the transaction. So I don't know that I quite understand what checking out the neighborhood would, how would... So let's say you, <laughs> let's say oh, at 730, you show up to a house mm-hmm. and there's 22 foot cedar trees on both sides of it. And you're not looking at the neighbor's house because they're, they're not for sale. Right. And you enter the home and it's exactly what you're looking for, priced perfectly for you. And the next step would be writing an offer. Everything's good. Next day, you're excited. You're happy. You drive by with your wife to take a second peek at the property and you look at the neighbor's house and they're doing crack on the front porch. Oh no. Okay. Okay, I see. That's a problem. Yeah. And it's an oversight that you could easily walk through. Mm -hmm. So I would say you, you should be doing your due diligence to check out the hood and make sure that, you know, just combing the hood, driving by, walking by at like five, six o'clock at night when most people from work are home. Mm-hmm. You'll see what the car load on the street's yeah, going to look like. get the vibe. The sound, how many dogs are barking, you know, these types of things. And you can make a better informed decision about it. But mm-hmm. I will say this, if you're like, I want out of this transaction because the neighbor's dog is barking too loud, I think that's a very good reason to. Really? Well, if you have an insane dog next door and it's sure. going to affect your peace and tranquility of living there, yeah. that, that might yeah. be a problem. Or yeah. If, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of reasons why that could be super irritating to someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's other options, but whatever. The, the problem with that is that you didn't write it in your contract as subject to me figuring out whether the dogs are working. Like mm-hmm. there's, there could be a scenario there where that, there could be a legality to that. Right. But so, it's probably not enough of a reason to get out of the contract on its own. Not on its own. Right. You might have to pair it with something. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I would have checked out the neighborhood before I made the offer, but that's an ideal scenario. You know, it doesn't always happen like that. If you have to make a fast offer because things are moving really quickly, yeah, I could see how that well, could come about. Yeah, and you're, you're, we're dealing with people that are buying homes that never even see the, have even stepped foot in the city, <laughs> yeah. let alone checked out the neighbor's house. Yeah, good right? point. So there's, yeah, there's things going on. Um, actually I heard this today. This is pretty funny. Um, this was a particular seller that I'm working with and he indicated that the sign just went up yesterday Mm -hmm. and he, he said, let me, this is the neighbor talking to him. So you're selling. And he says, yeah, yeah, we're going to move. And he says, let me know when you have your showings and I'll tie my kids up, keep them quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. (laughs) So apparently there was a pretty decent size of a good size of kids and it's like there was a lot of kids in there. Okay. So moving forward, uh, another part of the due diligence that you should be doing as a buyer would be maybe contacting your lawyer. Yeah. Okay. Or notary. I don't normally recommend notaries uh, for transactions and we've discussed another podcast. I won't go there in this one, but uh, whoever you're using to review documents and who are going to do the conveyancing on your transaction, it's not the worst idea to see, especially if you have a very unique scenario you're borrowing money from family members as well. And there's there's intricacies in that that's not going to be a standard transaction mm-hmm. that you should be reviewing the contract with your lawyer and evaluating any potential hiccups. Because as real estate agents, we're not accountants and we're not lawyers and we, we're not professionals on GST. And that transaction could have implement, 
you know, implications with other taxations. Totally. That we are not savvy to. Yeah. So put in a call to yeah. source if you don't already have one, like you might be looking for a lawyer for the very first time, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And lean on your your real estate agent for that. Like a I mean, recommendation. If, totally. Or, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, especially if you're looking at um, title charges, which is the next point of due diligence. So in most properties in the city limits, there are charges on title. And there's two kinds of charges. There's financial charges. Mm-hmm. And then there's other charges, which are charges like covenants and right-of-ways and easements, building schemes, things that stay on title and sort of run with the land, as we say. And just to be just to be clear, when I when I first started working with you, I was like, charges, like it it conjures up such a a legal connotation of like breaking the law, like to be charged with something, but that's well, there are charges that are set on title that yeah, basically impede the use right. of, it's, that, of yeah. that title. Took me a sec to understand what a charge on title was. But yeah, it's sort of attached right. to that title yeah. f- until it's removed formally for some reason. And if you think about it this way, in the older days of 1950s, okay, mm-hmm. we had sparses of land everywhere. People buying that land wasn't really... Like there was no neighbors, mm-hmm. maybe there was no city limits in that area. There wouldn't be a charge on title. Right. There's nobody else that's trying to um, consider your property as a potential hazard for other things that is in the overall scheme of things. Right. But now you have you have uh, districts that are concerned with waterways, mm-hmm. rivers, lakeshore development areas. Um, the population is just massively growing in, mm-hmm. in a lot of areas, especially in our area. And so the districts that have the jurisdiction for building and for authority in those regions are now thinking 20 and 40 and 60 and 100 years out. And they're putting charges in place on titles to make sure that you don't build at the shoreline of a lake that every 40 years will flood and go up 15 feet. Right. Um, or that you're not in a waterway that could, you know, encroach and impede salmon from spawning or, mm-hmm. you know, like a salamander that there's, you know, there's all kinds of ecological effects that are going on. Yeah. And in the city limits, we have like we have development areas where an engineer has developed an entire subdivision on land that was maybe not perfect for building on. Mm. And so there's charges on title to protect the land from decay. Ah. And this is a prime example in Bachelor Heights where it's all silt, mm-hmm. it's terrible building material. Uh, but then in order to create a development up there, you're bringing an engineer to qualify that dirt and they're packing it and they're they're doing things to the soil for compaction purposes to make it viable to build on. Right. But just because you can build on it doesn't mean that maybe your your roof water is going to just drain in the backyard all the time because it eventually is going to upset that compaction ratio and you're going to, it's going to be vulnerable and not only to you, but other properties in the neighborhood. Okay. So there'd be a charge on title for that. Right. Um, and that's actually a really common one you'll see in Bachelor Heights. Oh. So charges on title, they should be evaluated. Uh, some of them are easy to evaluate. Some you can just read through them. Some of them are very jargony and they're not necessarily written for, you know, somebody who likes to read fiction. Okay. <laughs> this is legal this is... terminology and sometimes it requires uh, the expertise of a lawyer to evaluate right. it and give you their perspective on what the implications of that particular charge may, may mean for your life expectancy in that property. Right. So that's part of the due diligence. Um, other factors can be as simple as like 20-year floodplains and 200-year floodplain areas. And, you know, what are 
what other factors should I be concerned with? Mm-hmm. Um, school attachments. We talk about that from time to time. Um, we've recently had some school attachment changes oh. in our area. So areas where it was obvious you were going to go to this school and now you're going to that school, maybe that's a factor. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you'd want to put a condition in your contract for that legally. Um, or again, like it would be very difficult to get out of a contract if, if something like that came up and you didn't actually describe it in your agreement to purchase. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, home inspection. We talked about when to get it, but then after you've done the home inspection, again, going through all the due diligence that's going to participate in qualifying structural mechanical items on that home. Right. Um, let's see. What else we got? The home inspection, can all, can that also trigger like a round of renegotiation potentially? Um, that is a habit. Okay. And it's a possibility because if you understand that there's a property disclosure statement in most transactions mm-hmm. and the seller had the ability to disclose deficiencies at that time. So if they didn't disclose something like, and maybe they didn't disclose because they didn't know about it. Sure. But it is a surprise in the transaction. Mm-hmm. So when you make an offer to purchase something, you're expecting that everything that's not disclosed to be at least functional. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that a furnace has failed or a roof is failing or a structural component is being compromised and it's going to cost X amount of dollars. That's going to trigger a renegotiation. But that technically, when you renegotiate, you're actually squishing that contract. Uh, you're breaking it. Yeah. You're basically saying like, I'm not going to live up to these terms in this contract. I want new terms. Yeah. And if the seller agrees, then you can move forward and mm-hmm. you can just amend that contract and move forward. But the seller doesn't have to agree. Right. Right. Yeah. They can just go back on the market. Mm-hmm. But legally, they should be disclosing if they didn't know about right. something after. Right? <laughs> of course. Okay. Um, here's another one too, is strata documents. If it's a strata property, they should be reviewing strata documents. And, uh, and we're talking like meeting minutes and AGMs yeah. and financial statements and uh, rules and regulations, yes. and depreciation, depreciation reports. <laughs> yeah. So this is also where a lawyer could come in handy to help you through that process. Because it can be quite a number of pages. It can yeah. be hundreds and hundreds of yeah, 600 pretty, pages. Pretty dry yeah, <laughs> documents. Totally. Uh, yeah, okay. So that's another part of that due diligence. So they're doing a lot of things in the back end. Yeah. And then let's jump into the buyer's agent because typically they're doing all this with them. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're gathering documents and they're gathering intel from the seller's agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the ones that are quarterbacking all that due diligence process, yeah. keeping everything in line, keeping everything organized, mm-hmm. and making sure that everything is getting checked. Yeah. So lots of times I'll review title charges, I'll review strata documents, depreciation reports, I'll review them. But it's not about me saying to my buyer, it's all good because it's all relative information. Mm-hmm. It may be good relative to another strata complex, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the expectation yeah. of the buyer. Right. So everybody needs to participate in reading those things. Yeah. I just read them to make sure that there's not something I'm not aware of. Right. Or anything missing or Yeah. Missing components mm-hmm. for sure. Or like little hidden things Sneaky that- Sneaky rules that- That have been in play. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's the job of a realtor. <laughs> um, and then you're going to be communicating with the bank as well. Um, I know that... As a buyer's s- agent? As a buyer's agent. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it may be thought that there's a privacy factor there. And that there totally is, yeah. 100%. But if your buyer is not going to allow you to communicate with the bank or financial institution, 
Um, that might be a red flag, and you want to discuss that before you even start showing them houses. But mm-hmm. it's a team effort to get yeah. things done. And so uh, the real estate agent may have a little bit more sway in getting you know, mortgage brokers or financial institutions on the phone or getting through due diligence, or they, they may even take the word uh, and information from the real estate agent just more thoroughly as like more interesting yeah. thought to be true, yeah. right? And like the buyer's agent has... So maybe he has all the documents that that financial sure. professional re- is needs to do their end of the work. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So what I like to do is, you know, I like to sit. So let's say I got an accepted offer yesterday. Mm-hmm. Every day at the beginning of the day. I like if you were the buyer's agent? If I was the buyer's agent. Okay. Okay. And every day I would be looking through my checklist of things that need to be done and what, what, what needs to be located, mm-hmm. what documents we need. And we just kind of go through it. And it takes several days before you're going to gather all that stuff. And so you start to piece the puzzle together. And then at the end, you should be sort of sit down and do one more final run through yeah. with your buyer prior to removing it. Connecting the dots at the end. Absolutely. But like, yeah, it probably takes some like nudging to get your buyers to do what they need to do to procure right. whatever documentation. There is some misconception that... The accepted offer is the champagne cork, and <laughs> it's all about just killing time until the lender says it's good to go. It's like, but there's a number of steps in there <laughs> if yeah. you want to have a good transaction, yeah, right? Um, and then this goes to say, if you're doing a condition-free offer, in theory, you're leaving all this stuff on the table. Exactly. It's you're a lot of risk. playing a risky game. Yeah. Which in some cases is fine. Yeah. I, you know, if it's a calculated risk, but there's... A lot can be uncovered through this process that is very informative. Sure. Good to know. Yep. Knowledge is power, as they Knowledge say. Knowledge is power. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's move on to the seller. Okay. So the, the seller has received an offer on their home. They've accepted it. Now what? Now what? Now what are they going to do? So uh, the seller is probably going to be really excited for a little while because mm-hmm. they got the accepted offer, they're happy, and the job is not over. It's two weeks from being over. Right. <laughs> so the the process for the seller and the seller's agent, which we kind of coordinate these two together, the first thing I would say that the seller should be doing is watching or listening to the podcast on how to prepare your home for the home inspection. <laughs> yes. Because this would nice go a plug. long way <laughs> in getting their house ready for that process. Yes. And we just put that out. Yeah. Just good point. Fresh content just sitting mm-hmm. out there. Um, so they should be preparing their home for the home inspection because that will be in the due diligence of the buyer in more cases than less. And so getting the home ready, um, of course, they're probably on their, they're probably on their own journey to find a home. Mm-hmm. Once they've sold their home, they're probably doing a, a bit of a, a buyer's process as well. Uh, but sourcing information for their seller's agent, who's third party giving that to the buyer's agent. Right. So in this case, it'd be... About s- the home. Yeah. Yeah. Strata documents, mm-hmm. locating them, maybe a Roof. BIR, PIR, yeah. comfort letter. We talk about that. Like property receipts for roof Furnaces. replacement. I don't know. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, physical Pro- maintenance records. Proof of records. Yeah. Totally. Um, and, that's, and that's what the seller should be doing, um, even as far as like getting utility bills and utility mm-hmm. statements for preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, the seller also has the ability to go get a lawyer. Yeah. And they should have wrote it in the contract if that was something that they're primarily concerned with. Because as real estate agents, we write contracts all the time. And we're not really lawyers. Mm-hmm. So the truth is, is that 
a, 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 a transaction could be broken if something was left open. Like if the contract wasn't written properly? If it wasn't scripted properly, oh, if yeah. there was terminology in there that was open uh, to interpretation, misleading, yeah. yeah, or, you know, dates weren't signed on time. Um, there's a number of things that I'm not saying that realtors are all sloppy and that that's what they do, but uh, every that's day possible. there's a, there's a lawsuit somewhere and something is challenged and it changes the way that we do business. Mm-hmm. So you're suggesting that the seller can have a lawyer review the contract yeah. for... They have the ability to. Yes. Right? In a number of cases, I would say like this. Let's say, for instance, this contract isn't legally binding at this point. Mm -hmm. If it was written on a napkin and it was like, hey, I want to buy your house. This is the number. This is the date. And I don't (laughs) don't have any conditions and this is the signature. Legally binding, maybe that is a contract. Maybe that isn't. But at the end of the day, if the buyer wants to buy it and the seller wants to sell it, sell it then when they go to the lawyer to convey it, they're going to make it work. Yeah. It doesn't need to be any better than that. Really only if someone's looking for a way to get out or looking for um, yeah. weaknesses, weaknesses in that language in the, or language. what have you. Interesting. Okay. Well said. Yeah. So let's, let's evaluate where that would be really important. Mm-hmm. You as a seller now go buy a house. Yeah. And after the conditions have been removed on your sale... Uh, they won out because it wasn't written properly. It wasn't articulated properly. There was flaws in the contract. Mm-hmm. You may be committed to buying a house, but you're yeah. not going to have the funds to sell yours right. to get the funds. Right. That's where it's... It would leave me in a, a crunchy spot. I'd either be getting would, it back on the market or... A predicament, shall a, we say. Yes, a pickle. A pickle. Um, yeah, good point. Could derail a bit there. A derail. So working with... All parties, the seller should be coordinating through the seller and the buyer's agent to get them whatever they need in order to satisfy not only the contract, but inquiries of concern. To, um, to get whatever who needs? The buyer. The buyer. Got it. Okay. It's weird. I, I say the buyer's agent, but it's the buyer. They're is in tandem. With the buyer agent. They're holding a, hands. They're there. holding hands. <laughs> they're party. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, and because it's, yeah, you kind of have to help. Sure. Help the transaction along in that way. And although I'm not a party to this, um, I will discuss a little bit about what the mortgage broker might be doing Mm -hmm. in the background. The mortgage broker is finalizing the approval process and they're communicating directly with the financial institution. Mm -hmm. So they're getting curveballs coming back from, let's say, head office. Sure. As a term. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So the lender's asking for additional information they're now going to be coordinating through buyer's agent to get that, get this document, get that document, get something to me. And if it's pertaining to the house, then that's going to be translated to the seller's agent mm-hmm. and then to the seller. And then there's just a lot of communication that's going to go through that, uh, that window of two weeks. Yes, totally. To make the transaction happen. Mm-hmm. So and a lot of, a lot of workings, a lot of machina- machinations on the back end of like, a, lo- yeah. a lot of wheels turning in different yeah. courts at the same time. And in some cases, the transaction, like buyer's agent, seller's agent, they work in unison to get the transaction done. Mm-hmm. But in other conditions, there might be different motives. Mm-hmm. And so everything becomes a negotiation. Ah. It's never just negotiating price and dates and conditions and terms. Once the contract's signed, you're still negotiating things. Right. 
you may want a document that isn't in the contract. And so you're asking for it. And then, you know, maybe the seller's agent is like, I don't have to do that. It's not in the contract. So you might be negotiating getting something that you didn't write in or... Right. Like more adversarial than um, teammate. Yeah. Depending on, yeah, the factors of the transaction or who they're representing and what their interests are. Yeah. You may not know their interests. Of course. Yeah. And it may not just be as simple as I need to sell my house. Right. There might be a date that is really important to that transaction happening. Mm -hmm. And you, you might not know that. And you might just say, hey, we got to change the dates because, you know, my guy's going on a holiday. and Yeah, he's... we need an extension to... And then it, then you're negotiating again, mm-hmm. right? And then there's maybe a monetary number with that or even furthermore, there might be like a backup offer. So there's uh, an offer in, in the backup uh. that could be more remuneration for the seller. There could be... There's just a number of factors going on. So as a buyer's agent and a seller's agent, you have to be aware that you're always negotiating and you could always be at any point in time, there could be something not on your radar right? that's driving certain questions or certain actions. Absolutely. That's really important. I think that's important to keep in mind. I mean, the buyer and the seller probably don't need to keep that in mind. That's more like the agents need to. But remembering that that layer of, that, that layer exists it's yeah. very real. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And sometimes... Um, and sometimes it doesn't matter. And it sometimes matter. it's all that matters. Sometimes it's like, yeah. hey, I want to buy this house. And yeah. the seller's like, oh, I just want Great. to sell it. That number looks good. And you can pick the dates and cool. Everything's happy. Yeah. Hunky-dory. Tick, not, tick, tick. No done. speed bumps. Yeah. In other cases, it seems like every time Struggle you need a piece of way. information, it's a speed bump. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Lots of variables then is like basically what, what I'm coming away with so far is that there's, yeah. this is the general sense of what should occur, but there's lots of places where that could derail here and there, but derail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a train wreck. Choo choo. (laughs) Uh, And then again, I'm not a lawyer, but I will mildly discuss the the way I see the back end of their (laughs) earlier uh, part of the transaction. Earlier you said, I'm not really a lawyer. (laughs) I'm not really a lawyer. (laughs) I think something like that. Anyway, But I play one on the podcast from time to time. (laughs) Okay, so you're not a lawyer. Not a lawyer, not a mortgage broker. Uh, But in the the sense of a lawyer, so in a lot of transactions, the lawyer doesn't even play a a factor in this part of the transaction. So, and I would say the majority of them. Mm -hmm. In the majority of these transactions, you've received an offer, great, buyer and seller are doing stuff. And the lawyer's not involved. They don't want to be involved. They don't want you to book a date to come to sign. They don't want anything to do with this transaction until the conditions have been removed and the billing can begin. Right. Right? <laughs> of course. So, yeah. So that that's an important factor. Now, if you're asking the lawyer to do some due diligence prior to removing conditions, that's, that's where they get involved. Mm-hmm. And in, in certain aspects... Uh, we have leasehold properties in Kamloops. If you're dealing with a 99-year lease, that's a pretty big document. Mm-hmm. It is not, it's not written, you know, for the average person, the latest yeah, person pretty, to just understand. Pretty thick legalese. Legally, yeah, yeah. So you'd maybe want to include a lawyer in translating that into English, as well as uh, title charges and stratodocs and you know all the financial stuff that goes on with a transaction. Um, but after you remove conditions, so soon as you the Sold sign goes up, nice pictures are taken, and the sold sign is sitting there flapping on the sign. Mm-hmm. That's when the lawyers are going to start to get documentation for both parties. So each party is going to have their own uh, lawyer that's going to do the conveyancing for them. Mm-hmm. 
And I was just discussing this prior to the podcast here with an agent from Washington who has also been a guest on our podcast. Ah. And I was asking them how that transaction looks from their perspective because they use a term called escrow. Right. Which is not a vocabulary term that we use in uh, in, in Canada. Canada. I've seen it in movies. Yeah, in American movies. Yeah. I hear the term escrow. <laughs> so not to dive too far away, but let's talk about escrow for a sec. Okay. As I understand it, asterisks, <laughs> that in the United States, n- not in all states, but definitely in Washington State, uh, when, when an offer is made on a property and is accepted... The minute it is accepted and it's a conditional offer, mm-hmm. which they don't use the word conditional offer, they use contingent offer, ah, mm-hmm. then they'll slide the rider in on the sign that says in escrow. Ah. So it's currently in escrow until completion. Right. Uh, we use the term sometimes pending, like pending transaction, meaning mm-hmm. there's conditions on it. It could come back on the market. You could still make another offer. It would be a backup offer. Mm-hmm. But they don't use that word pending at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Pending means condition free. Pending the date of completion. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they could use escrow from the date of the accepted offer all the way out until completion. Whereas um, escrow is like a third party to a transaction mm-hmm. that where like holds the funds. Holds well, yeah. Or, it holds trust know. money. We call it trust okay. money. Um, it'll hold that deposit money. Mm-hmm. They don't use that word either. I can't remember what they use it for. But <laughs> there's a there's a term that they use is very different, but it's essentially like the down, you know, a part of the uh, a monetary number that would equivalent to a deposit in mm-hmm. our in our language. So, I was like thinking, could we start using the word escrow? Like, does it have enough room for us to use that in our? I wonder. It's such a sexy word. It really is fun to say. Is escrow. escrow? Sorry, we're waiting. It's an escrow. Yeah, escrow. It sounds so official. It does. It's, um, but yeah, maybe we... <laughs> hmm. We'll have to evaluate we'll see. the pros and cons of that. Yeah. Um, I want to take one step back when you yep. said, okay, so conditions are removed. Can we just quickly touch on like that and to remove all conditions, yep. that the, the, the piece there is that you're basically signing a paper to say, here are the conditions we set in the contract. Yep. All the parties sign it, and that means conditions are removed. Sure. Okay. Just but wanted to say, in case anyone wasn't sure what Technically, what that meant. they're the buyer's conditions. The seller may have conditions as well. Mm. But in most transactions, there's only going to be buyer conditions. And it's technically only the buyer that's required to sign anything to remove them. They just oh. have to give them proof that the conditions they originally had, whether they did them or not, they're removed. Yeah. They're, on this date, this is how long we had, and this is the date we're removing those conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, the seller can acknowledge them and say, yes, I've received these. That's all that document really requires. Oh, okay. And if the seller doesn't sign it, it doesn't change anything. Right. The buyer is the only one who really is supposed to um, give those documents, uh, like a written notification that those conditions are being removed. Right. And when the conditions are removed, typically in Canada, that's when the sold sign goes up. Ah, okay. Because it's not really sold until completion day. <laughs> but it's contractually sold in that nobody can come in and buy it. It's firm. It's a firm transaction. Yeah, at that point. Contractually firm. Mm. Yeah. It's not as sexy as escrow. It, not nearly. <laughs> contractually firm. <laughs> escrow. Escrow. It rhymes with things like <laughs> bestgrow. <laughs> okay, it doesn't rhyme with anything. <laughs> okay, so where do we get to? We, we talked about the buyer and the buyer's agent talked about the seller and the seller's agent when the uh, 
there's an accepted offer. Yeah. That where does that leave us? It leaves us as a sold home. Okay. And right? then at that point, then there's like still work to be done before possession and completion day and whatnot. But but that two weeks of due diligence where you're working on removing your conditions is like pretty heightened. That's yep. that's where a lot of action's going taking there's, place. There's a lot of extra steps that are going on in there. And I yeah. will say this that even when the conditions are removed and it's a firm transaction, there still can be changes. Sure. It's, it's just both both parties have to agree to it. You are negotiating again. Mm-hmm. You're technically breaking a firm contract. Yeah. But as if you both agree to a new thing in that contract, then mm-hmm. it just becomes firm yet again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of things change. Like sometimes... Possession date need to change. The dates order. will change. Sometimes there is um, an extra name that needs to go on title, which mm-hmm. is classified as an assignment. And that's mm-hmm. a pretty big deal in BC. And maybe a name has to come off the contract, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal in BC. So there are things that could happen that would change the relative value of that transaction. But yet, it's if everybody agrees to it, it stays in a binding state, right? And doesn't hurt the contractual obligations of both parties, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think after that, we just pop pop the tops. That's when you can start drinking champagne. <laughs> Is I that would, what you mean? Yeah. When would we <laughs> normally? Pop champagne. Possession. I would say possession. Day. Yeah, because that's so real. You got yeah. the keys in your hot little hands and you're I think walking a, through the door. A nice bottle of wine at condition removal time. Oh, sure. Like a like a reasonable bottle of wine. Yeah. Sort of <laughs> states the idea that Champagne's flashy. We're on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Save the flashy one for possession day. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. That's that highlights a really important turning point in the whole procedure yeah, of buying, anybody's, buying and selling a home. If anybody's out there who's uh, got some questions or concerns about that, feel free to reach out. I'm glad to answer all relative questions and concerns <laughs> regarding uh, the, the sale and the purchase of a home. It's, what, it's what we do. It's what we do. It's what we're here for. <laughs> so thanks again for tuning in to the Camelot's Real Estate Insider podcast. And I appreciate so much your ears through these tracks And uh, if there's any way that I could improve the content that I'm delivering, feel free to reach out because I would love to make this podcast the very best it could be. Yeah, let us know. Give us your feedback. Take care. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes delivered right to your feed. And we want to hear from you. Send comments and questions to parker at royallepage.ca or reach out on Instagram at pbrealestater. <laughs>